then you can be seated. We're so glad that you're here today at Harbor Church. We're so glad that you're here. And if you weren't here last week, uh, we just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you've all decided to join us. And and last week we started a, a series called What Kind of Family Is This? What kind of family is this? And what we wanted you to understand is that when you walk into this place, you're not just walking into a group, you're not just walking into a gathering, but you're walking into a family this morning. And that every time you walk into a family, there is a certain way that a family behaves. And we wanna tell you what kind of family we are. So we started last week by kind of talking a little bit about how we are a family for the lonely, that we are a family for the lonely, that we exist for people who are feeling lonely and isolated. this and, and so today I want to talk to you a little bit about what kind of family we are. That we are a family that is fearless. That we are a family that is fearless. Now, I don't know about you, but you learn a lot through your family. Your family teaches you a lot about life. Your family teaches you who and what to fear. And if you grew up in a family that was very fearful, it's very likely that you are a fearful person. And so I just want to talk a little bit about that today. And I want to do that by going to Acts chapter 27 this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 27. And just a little bit of context about what's going on in this scripture is that Paul, who was once an extreme persecutor of Christians, Paul was a guy who literally sought out Christians to persecute and kill Christians, but he's had this encounter with God, and he's now actually a Christian himself, and he's become kind of a leader in the Christian community, but in this moment, he is imprisoned, and he's in transit. So he's in prison, and he's being moved around to different places, and he's ultimately, he, his desire is ultimately to get to Rome. And it just so happens that the people who have him imprisoned are trying to take him to Rome. And there's been some debate about which path they should take in order to get to where they're going. And so that's where we join this story is in Acts chapter 27, verse 13. And as they begin this journey, things do not go as well as one would hope when one is traveling by sea. It says this in verse 13. It says, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught up by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted aboard, They passed ropes under the ship to hold it together. Fearing that they would run aground on sandbars, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved." I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you felt like you had come to a place where you had given up all hope to see that situation work out, but this is the moment that Paul and the people that have him imprisoned are in in this moment. The ship that they are in is literally breaking apart underneath them, and they're passing ropes underneath the boat just to hold the vessel 
together. They've given up all hope of being saved. And Paul says, after the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice to not sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you, keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Now again, they are in a desperate and hopeless situation. And I don't know about you, but have you ever heard a saying that when you heard the saying, the saying sounded good, but the more you thought about the saying, the more you thought about what the saying meant, you thought, I actually do not agree with this saying. Like, this saying actually makes no sense. And I remember when I was just in grade school, and this might get controversial here on how people believe about this, but I remember in grade school the first time I heard a saying that all of you have probably heard a teacher say. Her name was Shannon Utsi, and I was in her class, and I remember on the first day of class, as nice as she possibly could, she said, I want you to know that in my class, there is no such thing as a stupid question. And as a bunch of like third and fourth grade boys, we decided that we would take that as a challenge. And so throughout the rest of the days of that week, we would raise our hand for anything and everything and try to ask the stupidest question that we could think of in order to make this teacher realize that yes, actually there are stupid questions. And so we would push her on this and I realized throughout that time, I thought, you know, actually, if we're really being honest, there are some stupid questions. Like there are some questions that don't necessarily need to be asked. And, and I recently heard another phrase like this. I was watching a movie. We were having kind of a lazy Saturday a couple weeks ago. And my daughters turned on a movie called We Bought a Zoo. It's called We Bought a Zoo. We had not seen We Bought a Zoo, but the girls were very excited to see the movie. And it's an interesting movie because there's like a lot of heartache in the movie, but there's also like some really heartwarming things in the movie. And um, I absolutely hate to be the kind of person that ruins movies for people. It's like, it's like one of my biggest pet peeves, but I'm sorry, if you have not seen the movie, it is necessary to the story for me to tell you that in the movie We Bought a Zoo, the family buys a zoo. They buy a zoo, and when they buy the zoo, things kind of go crazy, and it doesn't go as well as they thought it would go, and there's this moment in the movie where the son is mad at the dad for buying the zoo. He's fighting about it. He's saying he always makes these rash decisions. He doesn't think of the family, all these different things. The dad, by the way, played by Matt Damon. Who doesn't love Matt Damon? And Matt Damon looks at his son, and he says, son, if I've learned one thing, whether it was asking your mother to go on a date with me or whether it was buying this zoo, what I've learned is that all you need in life is 20 seconds of insane courage and something incredible will happen. And I was like, man, I like that. 20 seconds of insane courage and something incredible will happen. And then the movie ended and I asked my daughters what they thought of it. My middle daughter, Sophia, who is ruthlessly honest, I said, what did you think of the movie? And she said, well, I don't know. For a movie called We Bought a Zoo, it was sadder than I thought and there was less fun zoo stuff. <laughs> and I got to thinking about it and I was like, honestly, sometimes... That's what 20 seconds of insane courage will get you. 
It will get you into a situation that you assume is going to be a lot funner and a lot more enjoyable than it is, but then it ends up actually having with it a sense of heartache and struggle and resistance. See, because 20 seconds of insane courage might get you into some situations, but you are going to need a lot more than 20 seconds of insane courage in order to actually get through the circumstances that you go through. You are going to need to learn how to have sustained courage in order to get through the things that God has called you to. Because see, God has called you to a life of more. I can guarantee you that whatever situation you are in right now, God has more for you to step into than you are currently walking in. He's always calling you to more. He's always calling you to a new place. And yes, you need that 20 seconds of insane courage to step into the life that God has for you. You need 20 seconds of insane courage to say yes to a relationship with Christ. You need 20 seconds of insane courage to say yes to whatever that thing is that he has called you to. But once you are in it, I promise you, you are going to need more than just that 20 seconds. You are going to need to know how to have sustained courage. See, when we begin with this story in verse 13, it says, a gentle wind began to blow, so they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. So, This story begins with this gentle nudge of momentum that makes them think they have what they wanted. Have you ever been in a situation or a relationship or a job or any scenario where you thought that you had what you wanted? And it seemed like there was this sense of momentum to what you had. It seemed like there was this gentle nudging of, yes, this is the right thing. This is the right way to go. This is the right step to take. But then out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere, there is this wind of resistance against what you have stepped into, against what you have always known. See, if you are stepping in to the life that God has for you, it will often begin with what feels like momentum and then immediately be met with what feels like resistance. But what I want you to see in this story is that the wind that they were interpreting as resistance, the wind that they were interpreting as what was against them actually was the wind that set them on the right path. Ultimately, the wind that they thought was destroying them delivered them to the place that they needed to be. And I would say to some of you today that some of you, what you think is destroying you is delivering you to the place that you need to be. Because this wind of resistance was not actually against them. This wind of resistance was setting them on the right path. But see, we have to ultimately have the courage. We ultimately have to be able to face our fear in order to have the sustained courage we need to get through the thing that we think is destroying us to the place of deliverance. We have to have the strength to get through that. And, and maybe it's this idea that I think so often we want to get to where we are going and we want the entire journey to be safe. Like, we don't want to just get there safely. We don't want to just arrive safely. We want the actual journey itself to feel safe the entire time. When I was a teenager, my dad did a lot of international traveling for some different missions organizations. And one time I used to travel a lot with him, even as a kid. And one time we were 
in Siberia, Russia, and we got on a commercial airliner there, and it was not in the best shape. At the time, at least, it's been a while since I've been back, but at the time, the airliners that were within the country when you were in Russia, they were literally airplanes that had been decommissioned in the United States, and then they would buy them, and they would literally just scratch off the logo of whatever it used to be, and so when you were getting on a plane, you could clearly see like a scratched-off Delta logo and then a Russian word painted over it. It's not the most comforting thing to board and then to fly at 40,000 feet. So we were on this plane, and the flight was fine for the first little bit. But then when we began to land, to this day, it is still the single worst flight I have ever been on. I was convinced that we would not land, but that we would actually go to another airport or something, because what happened was we, we flew into this storm where literally out the windows, it was pitch black during the day. You could not see a thing except for when it would lightning, except for when it would thunder. You could hear hail and rain pulverizing the plane. The lower we got, the worse it got. I was convinced at any moment we would go back up and find a different airport. Now, when I was a teenager, I was fairly terrified of flying in general. And I think that I was terrified of flying because my mother was terrified of flying. And like I said, when you grow up in a family, you learn what to be afraid of. I had no reason really to be afraid of flying, but I was very afraid of flying. Lucky for me, on this flight was my great uncle who ran this organization where he literally flew hundreds and hundreds of times throughout the year. He was on a plane nearly every single day, and I am white-knuckling my armrest. I'm terrified, but I keep looking over at him because I'm like, if he gets scared, that's when I'm going to start to worry. And he's just, he's honestly, he's just chilling. Like, like, he's not worried. He doesn't seem afraid. He doesn't seem anything. So I have my eyes locked on him. He's exactly across the aisle from me. I have my eyes locked on him the entire time. And I'm nervous. I'm scared. Literally, the power starts flickering on the plane as we're, like, jostling around. Terrifying. People are, like, kind of making noises every time we have bad turbulence. He's just chilling. And so then I'm looking over. I'm literally just staring at him. And he looks over, and he sees that I'm staring at him. And he makes eyes at me. And just as casually as anything, he goes, this isn't safe at all. And then looks back out the window. And I was like, I feel like maybe you should tell someone. Like, I feel like you're maybe qualified to let somebody know. But then we get on the ground and someone on our team said when we got to the airport, they said, well, that was really rough, but at least they got us here safely. And I was like, but did they? Like, I don't know if they actually got us here safely. But if you look in hindsight, they did get us there safely. The journey just wasn't safe. The trip didn't feel safe, but we were safely on the ground. And if we jump to the end of this story in verses 42 and 44, I want you to just listen to the level at which this escalates. Because Paul says, the soldiers plan to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard and try to get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. And then listen to this last line. In this way, everyone reached land safely. In this way, everybody reached land safely. They're jumping overboard. They're holding on to pieces of the ship. They're surrounded by wreckage. What they were traveling in no longer exists. And Paul says, oh, it was in this way that they reached safety. 
And I just want to tell some of you today that if you're going through a journey that doesn't feel like it's smooth, if it feels like everything is falling apart around you, if it feels like you're barely holding on, you're barely treading water, that it could be that in that way is the way that you will eventually reach safety that you will eventually get to safety, that it might not be a safe, smooth journey, but it was the journey that was required of them to get on track and to get where they needed to go. See, we know that they made it to safety. We know that they got where they needed to go. But, but the question is, what did it take for them to get through that journey in order to get to safety? What did it take? Because that is what we need in order to get through the journey of our lives. We need to look at stories like this and we need to say, okay, we see that they made it through it. We know the end of the story, but how did they make it through it? Because when you are in the midst of the storm, when you are in the midst of what's going on, it can be so disorienting and so confusing and so hard to figure out what to grasp onto and what to hold onto and what to let go of. And so I just wanna look at four things that Paul kind of spearheaded in this moment. When they're in the storm and he's imprisoned, the things that he spearheaded to get them through this moment. And the first thing is this, that when things seem hopeless, we have to have faith. When things seem hopeless, we have to have faith. If we look back at verses 23 through 25, Paul says, last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just the way he told me. I have faith in God that it will happen just the way he told me. Now, there's this phrase in those verses that appears many times throughout scripture. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And he says, fear not in some translations. And these words, do not be afraid and fear not. I'm not the kind of guy that gets into like Bible numerology, where like if you get a certain number of scriptures and then subtract a certain number of numbers that you want to, you come out with something fun. But I do think that it's very interesting that that particular phrase, fear not or do not fear, that particular phrase appears in scripture 365 times. 365 times. Now, I don't know if it's a coincidence that the phrase fear not is in the Bible, the exact number of days that we have in a year. But I do think that it is possible that what God is trying to remind us of is that we cannot afford to live a single day in fear that we might just need a daily reminder that we cannot live in fear, that we might just need a daily reminder that if we're going to get to where God is taking us, we cannot afford to live in fear. But it's much easier to live in fear. It's much easier to live in fear, especially in the culture that we are living in right now. Fear, if we're being quite honest, Fear is kind of having its moment right now. Like fear has moved from just tolerated to being celebrated. Like fear is something that if you are afraid, you are more in than out. You feel more of a sense of belonging if you are afraid than if you are having faith. And we have to be in a place where we choose faith over fear. 
But, but what I think is so interesting about this story is that Paul says, when all of this happened around him, he says, we had given up all hope of being saved. Now, what strikes me about that is Paul did not say they had given up all hope of being saved. Paul said, we had given up hope of being saved. Now, see, what is interesting about that is that it reminds us that our faith doesn't have to be shaken when our hope is shaken. That a situation can, by all appearances, feel hopeless and seem hopeless. That it can seem like there is no way out. It can feel hopeless, and we can still have faith. Because Paul says, we had given up all hope of being saved. And it was in that moment that he gathered people together and he said, hey, keep up your courage, have faith. I am convinced that this will work out exactly as God told me. And for some of you in this place, you may be in a situation that feels hopeless, but just because your situation feels hopeless, it doesn't mean that you don't have to have or that you can't have faith. You can have faith for your hopeless situation. You can have faith that it will work out exactly as God told you it would. When I was young, again, like I was kind of fearful and I absolutely hated roller coasters. Like I would not, you would not get me on a roller coaster for anything, like my whole life. And then when I was, uh, I moved to school for college and I was a freshman in college and I uh, went to school in Lakeland and a bunch of people were like, hey, we're, we're going to Hollywood Studios, it's gonna be great. So I was excited because I was like, Hollywood Studios, I don't, it's been a long time since I've been there, but I was like, it's not a roller coaster place. No, it's a Tower of Terror place. <laughs> and, um, and it's a rock and roller coaster place. And uh, so right when we get there, uh, I'm like, oh, Haunted Mansion, anyone? And they're like, that's not here. And so we, um, we get in line for the rock and roller coaster, and I am in a quandary because as an 18-year-old like, male with a bunch of like, co-ed you know, people, I'm like, I cannot say that I'm afraid of roller coasters. And so I'm chilling in line. I'm trying to feel out the situation. You ever try to feel out a situation? And um, so I'm like, I hope th this doesn't go upside down, does it? Because it's not that I'm afraid, but I get a little like, you know, I might get a little sick if it goes upside down. And everybody with me is like, oh, rock and roller coaster? No, it doesn't go upside down. It goes upside down three times. They're like, no, it doesn't. No, this doesn't go upside down. It doesn't go upside down. And the ride, if you're unfamiliar, the ride is in the dark, so you can't just see. I'm like, all right, cool. And so uh, we go, we go. They've told me it doesn't, it doesn't go fast and it doesn't go upside down. Lies, both lies. And so we get on, it takes off. I mean, have you ever been on Rock and Roller Coaster? It like takes off and you immediately go upside down. It's like straight into, and I was just like, these people are not my friends. <laughs> These people, these are not my people. I have to find new friends. These are not my friends. But the truth is this, is that when we got off the ride, everybody was like, let's run it back. Let's roll it again. And I was all in. I loved Rock and Roller Coaster. To this day, it is still one of my favorite rides. I absolutely love it. Because what had happened was I was living in a future where I imagined that if I went on a roller coaster, something terrible would happen. I imagined that if I went on the roller coaster, something terrible would happen. It would cause me harm. It would cause me death. And so often, we are ultimately living in response to a future that we are imagining. But we are imagining that future in fear. 
And if we are going to live in response to a future that we are imagining, we might as well imagine that God is who he says he is in the future, that God can do what he says he will do in the future, and that it's going to work out just the way he says it will. See, it's easy, though, to imagine a future where everything works out when everything is working out. It's easy to imagine that future when everything is stable. It's easy to imagine that future when when the waters are calm. But see, Paul stepped into this moment where there was no reason for him to believe that the future was going to work out as God told him. Nothing pointed to the fact that it was going to work out the way God told him. And in fact, it looked like it was going to turn out the exact opposite of what God had told him. The ship is literally breaking apart beneath them. And Paul says, I have faith that it's going to turn out just the way God told me. But here's one of the things that you have to notice is that first and foremost, they had faith when everything seemed hopeless. But, but secondly, if you are going to get through the things that you walk through in order to get to where God has you, you cannot abandon ship. Do not abandon ship. In verses 29 and 32, it says, Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending that they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat, and let it fall away. See, in this moment, they were ready to abandon ship. They were ready to get out of the situation. And Paul said, hey, listen, I know this doesn't feel like you thought it would. I know this journey isn't going how you thought it would, but this right here, this is the way through. This is the way through. If you get on those lifeboats, it will be the end for you. See, so often I think we don't get where God is taking us because we don't like the way God is taking us. We don't get where God is taking us because once the way God is taking us gets more difficult or different than what we expected, we start looking for the lifeboats. We start looking for the way out. When the journey gets difficult, when the ship is falling apart, when it feels like everything is going wrong, we start looking for the lifeboats because those lifeboats, those lifeboats are smaller Those lifeboats are a little bit more manageable. Once you get into that lifeboat and you drop out, you are in control. You can take that lifeboat wherever you want. And we feel a lot safer when we have control. We feel a lot safer when the situation becomes more manageable. But notice that Paul says even the option of the lifeboat has to go cut the ropes. Cut the ropes and let your way out fall into the sea. We have to remove the opportunity for escape. See, see for, for some of you, you think that that lifeboat, you think that that way out is keeping you safe, but it's stealing your future. Yeah. It's stealing your future. Yeah. It's not going to get you where you think it's going to get you because the way through is on the thing that you're trying to get out of. The way through is to stay the course. And can I just tell you that the more tempted you are to quit, the more likely that you are on the edge of breakthrough. Yeah. 
The more tempted you are to get on that lifeboat, the more likely it is that you are just on the edge of where you need to be. And some of you, you're thinking about boarding that lifeboat in your situation, and you need to cut the ropes. You need to remove the option for escape and stay the course. And finally, if you're going to get through what God ha- or, or the situation that you're in to get to what God has for you, you have to stay nourished. Listen to this, Acts 27, 33 and 36. Paul says this. He says, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. After he said this, he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of all of them. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food for themselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I like any time that the Bible is like, just eat. Just, just eat. The, the solution for your problem is just go ahead and eat. But, but the truth is, even on a, a natural level, even on a natural level, once things get stressful, once things get intense, once there's, why is it that the first thing to go is immediately just the simple basics of things that you need to survive? Like anybody else, when you get stressed, it's like, oh, I haven't eaten in a month. I can just tell you, even from my own experience last week leading up to launch, like I was super excited, but there was just a lot of like suspense and how's it going to go? Who's going to show up? What's it going to be like? And multiple times I woke up in the morning just starving. And then I would think back and I'd be like, oh yeah, yesterday I had, you know, like half a sandwich and a half a glass of water. Because you tend to just leave behind the things that you actually need in those moments. You have to stay nourished physically, but you have to stay nourished spiritually as well. You have to stay nourished spiritually because something happens when we don't stay nourished. A while back, Kristen and I had reservations for one of our favorite places over in Tampa. We were going to eat dinner over in Tampa. And we had a late reservation, and it just happened to also be one of those days where I ate lunch really early. And that gets tough because you're like trying to figure out, oh, man, if I eat now, am I going to still be hungry? Am I not going to be hungry? So I got home. I got ready quicker than she did. That's pretty normal. And so I was chilling, and I was waiting, and I was kind of waiting to, uh, we were kind of waiting to leave, and uh, there was a bowl of goldfish, not the fish, like the snack. There was a bowl of goldfish on the counter. And so, you know, I just started snacking on them. Nothing crazy. I wasn't going crazy. I was just snacking on them, but I kept snacking on them, and I kept snacking on them, and I kept snacking on them, and I kept snacking on them. And so I'm eating these goldfish, I'm eating these goldfish, I'm eating these goldfish, and then we go, and we get to Tampa, we're at the restaurant, we sit down, and I find that, like, I'm not really that hungry. And, 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 and I don't really have an appetite for the food. And, and it's not that, like, I ate a crazy amount of goldfish that just filled me up. It's just, have you ever, like, eaten something that's, like, not really good food when you're actually really hungry, and it just kind of messes up your appetite? And see, what happens is when you allow yourself to get too hungry, you will eat whatever is set in front of you. You'll eat whatever is set in front of you. And so you get into those stressful moments. You get into those moments where you don't know what's going on. And if you don't stay nourished on the truth of God's word, then you will stress eat the lies that the enemy places in front of you. 
You will stress eat the lies that the enemy puts in front of you. And then when you do encounter the truth, you'll find that you actually don't have the appetite for it that you used to. And that's why sometimes you can show up at church and you haven't been in the word yourself all week and you haven't been nourishing yourself and you hear truth and you can sit back and go like, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. Because you don't have an appetite for the truth. We have to stay nourished on the word of God. We have to stay nourished on what he was saying. See, if you realize in the moment where everything was going wrong, Paul was able to stand amongst his peers and he was able to say, I have faith that it will turn out just the way God told me it would. Why? Because he says, last night, I got a word from God. Last night, I got a word from God. God said, you're gonna make it through. God said, you're gonna get through it. And Paul doesn't say that God said, hey, it's gonna get really rough. It's gonna be really bad, but hang in there. The word was just, hey, you're gonna make it through. You're gonna make it through. And for some of you, that is the word that God has for you today is you're gonna make it through. It may feel like the world is falling apart all around you, but you're gonna make it through. It may feel like nothing is going the way it should, but you're going to make it through. See, there is something about someone who can stand amongst all the chaos and just decide they're gonna have a meal, just decide they're gonna nourish themselves. There's this moment in Psalms where David, who wrote most of the Psalms, he says, God, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but I would rather God remove me from the presence of my enemies. I would rather say, God, you get me out of this situation. But David says, no, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Because see, it matters how those of us who follow God, it matters how we act in the storm. It matters what our posture is when it feels like everything is falling apart. And there is something about someone who can, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of circumstances, that they don't need the circumstances to change in order to have faith. They don't need the circumstances to change in order to step through the circumstances. No, they can say, this is the place that God is preparing a table for me. It's right here in the midst of all this chaos. It's right here in the midst of all this uncertainty. See, that was the difference in me and my uncle who was on that plane. He did not deny the circumstances. He didn't deny that things were not going well. He looked me right in the face and said, this is not safe at all. And yet he sat there as calm as anything. He sat there as though nothing was going on because he's the kind of guy that knows, hey, God called me to this. He's going to get me through it. God called me to it. I can trust him to get me through it. Eating in this moment, nourishing themselves in this moment for Paul and these people who had him in prison, to take the time to eat in this moment was an act of faith. 
Because if they believed that they were going to die, if they believed that this ship was going to come apart and they were done, then they did not need the nourishment that that food was gonna provide for them. But this was an act of faith of these men and of Paul saying, listen, we have to take a moment, even when it feels like everything is falling apart. We have to take a moment, even when the ship is falling apart beneath us. We have to take a moment when we're throwing everything we have overboard. We have to take a moment and we have to eat because our journey is not over. We have to eat because we know we're gonna need this nourishment tomorrow because we know there's going to be a tomorrow. This is not the end of us. We have to have nourishment for this trip. You have to be able to nourish yourself physically and spiritually. And the final thing is that you have to lighten your load. You have to lighten your load. Listen to this in, in uh, verses 39 and 40. It says, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time unheld the ropes that held the rudders. They cut loose the anchors. Listen, some of you in this place this morning, you have some anchors that have been holding you back. You have some anchors of insecurity. You have some anchors of insufficient use. See, you have some anchors of some things that have held you back for a long time. And it's time to cut the ropes and leave the anchors in the sea. It's time to cut the ropes and leave the anchors in the sea and allow God to take you where he's going. Listen, for some of you, it may not be insecurity. It may not even be something negative. Those anchors served a purpose at one point. At one point, those anchors served a purpose of holding that boat where it needed to be. But they said, no, in this season, I have to cut these anchors loose and I have to leave those anchors in the sea because what served me on the journey so far is not what is going to serve me for the rest of the journey. And some of you in this place have some anchors that have been holding you back from where God is taking you. And today is the day that you should cut those anchors and leave them in the sea. Allow God to guide you. It says they dropped the anchors and they cut the rudder. They let go of all control that they had. They let go of the weight that was holding them back. They let go of what allowed them to steer the ship. And they said, listen, we're letting go and we're letting you take us where you take us. It might look like we're running aground. It might look like we're going to crash. But ultimately, we know that this path that we don't even want to to be on is the path that is going to get us where you want to take us. And it's the same for many of you in this room this morning. You're walking a path that you don't even want to be on. It feels like your life is falling apart. It feels like nothing is going the way you expected it to go. And let me just tell you this morning, that is the moment where you need to have faith. That is the moment where you need to nourish yourself. That is the moment where you need to cut loose the anchors and stay the course because this is the journey. This is the path where God is taking you to where he would have you go. Would you stand with me this morning and bow your heads and close your eyes?